Uno, dos, one, two, tres, cuatro. Interpretation, please. One, two, one, two, three, four. Hello and welcome to episode five of the One British Man English podcast with me, Lee Passmore. Last week, you got to meet my mum. This week, you're stuck with me. It's just me on my lonesome, sat in a room on the west coast of Finland, looking out at this snowy landscape, thinking, Oi, winter, sling your hook, no one likes you anymore. Today I'm going to share with you a recent event that happened to me and my family. I'm going to tell you why moving to Spain and back to Finland within two and a half months contributed to our happiness and contentment. Going into this short story, it's worth knowing that Cecilia and I are no strangers to travelling or even relocating to new countries. When we met in Sweden over 10 years ago, we had both already had our fair share of individual travel experiences. So moving to England shortly after wasn't really a big deal. We lived in Devon for about four years and then we headed north to Finland in 2017. And we understood these moves were part and parcel of having an international relationship. And again, we weren't really phased by all of the changes happening. We didn't even bat an eyelid with the Spain idea. It was something that had continued to pop up in conversations. And we just decided it was the right time to test the water before settling somewhere permanently. We aimed for one year in Spain, but as you know, we were back in Finland before you could say, una sabeza, por favor. Of course, that's a lie. I learned to order my first beer a long, long, long time ago. So around a year ago, we started viewing houses in Finland with the intention of stepping onto the property ladder and purchasing our first family home. There was this air of excitement during this time, but we could both feel that something was holding us back from committing ourselves. And we'd always had quite a good relationship with our intuition, so we just put the kettle on and we had several discussions about our future plans. Several Earl Greys later, we agreed that, yeah, it was Spain. Spain was the culprit. And the thought of moving to northern Spain had been lurking in our subconscious minds for quite a while, and it was time to take some action and get some perspective on our lives. What did we really want from life? That was the question. Before I knew it, I was driving across the France-Spain border with all of our belongings in the back of the car. And luckily, my wife and kids took a flight instead because it was quite a long journey for the kids. I had a few days to myself when I arrived and I was literally blown away by the scenery. We'd rented this house on the edge of the national park, so we had views of this breathtaking mountain range and yet we still lived within eight kilometers of the beaches. I thought, wow, I could get used to this. It was warm, the sunshine, hiking trails, surfing beaches, good food, plenty of nature. What more could we possibly wish for, right? At this point, I'm gonna jump forward a month because after a month, we'd had plenty of time to explore, to enjoy the sun, to get our bearings, and essentially get over that honeymoon excitement. Now it would be possible to think clearly and analyse the first month without any rose-tinted glasses. So our first month summary went something along these lines. We love the beaches. We love the sun. I love the possibility of surfing again. And we loved seeing our kids running barefoot across the shoreline, even in September. These were clear positives, of course but it was impossible to ignore some of the challenges that were making life a little bit more stressful. 
Since our return, I've been asked on numerous occasions as to why we would pass up on this opportunity. But the question was always loaded with the same things. It was, what about the weather? What about the beaches? What about the surfing? You love that. And actually, we now know that these are materialistic luxuries and actually contribute very little to our everyday happiness. Anyway, the reality is you don't really want to go to the beach every day. It rains a lot in the north and I never had time to surf, you know, maybe once a week. We noticed this during the first month and it made us look at the more important aspects of family life. As we talked through the challenges, we could hear ourselves picking at some rather small details. And of course, we ran the risk of moaning about first world problems. However, this was about our personal future and I think we were allowed to be a little bit selfish. So first I'll tell you a bit about Vasa, this small coastal city in Finland where we now live. When you live in Vasa, you live with a sense of peace and calmness and freedom. The stress levels are noticeably low and I'd put this down to the social infrastructure being so stable and secure. It really does make life easier, especially for families. In Spain, there were some small things missing. For example, we weren't able to walk around these short circular nature trails with the kids or choose from multiple clean and well-maintained playgrounds. The living standards and priorities were much, much different in Spain. And we were a little naive, to be honest, to think that it would be anything different. Most of the open spaces, the fields and forests were privately owned, which meant driving to designated places just to go for a family-oriented walk. These details kick-started a much bigger discussion about the future and about buying property, the possibility of educating our kids in the right way. It really begged the question, was it possible to live our desired lifestyle in Spain? The answer was no. Buying an affordable property in the countryside was much easier in Finland and it was near on impossible in Spain. As non-citizens, we would have to fork out huge amounts of money for deposits just to get started. Also, we are home-educating parents, which is legal and accepted in Finland. Yet in Spain, the law has a very grey area around this subject, and we weren't sure how that would work out. The discussion went deeper and deeper until we had basically talked ourselves out of a permanent future in Spain. We started making plans to return to Finland so as not to waste any more time. And actually, the last four weeks were great since we had removed all pressures and expectations from ourselves and could just enjoy some holiday time instead. We have never looked back or regretted this trip. It was a learning experience and we achieved exactly what we had planned to achieve. Now we know that Finland is the place for us and we've taken our happiness to a new level. Some may say it was a strange way to discover that happiness, but I can only refer to the well-known saying You don't know what you've got until it's gone. Thank you very much, Spain. We love you dearly, but only for holidays. And that was our little adventure to Spain last year. For any new listeners, I also have a group going on Telegram. If you head over to Telegram and type in One British Man Pod Chat, it's a place where you can interact with me and other listeners. You can discuss the episode and some of the English that we learned together. Following on from this topic, it would be great to hear your own experiences and adventures in Spain. So post whatever you want, start a conversation and let's start talking about it. That's the end of part one. 
As always, we're going to head over to part two now, where we learn some useful everyday English that you can apply immediately. So let's get to it. Oi, winter, sling your hook. No one likes you anymore. Sling your hook. If you tell someone to sling their hook, it's a polite way of saying, go away. Many English idioms are related to nautical terms, which means they're related to sailing or the oceans. If we look at the origin of this idiom, we can understand it much better. So the hook is actually the anchor on the boat. So to sling your hook in sailing terms would be to pull up the anchor and sail away. So now you can understand that going away kind of relates to sailing away. Those of you who are really paying attention may have noticed that I dropped the sound of the H from the word hook. So I actually said, sling your hook. This is because it's such an informal expression and it relates back to the origin again. Sailors often talked in this informal way and pronunciation was not their top priority. So when could I actually use this idiom? I would use it in a more light-hearted manner. It's not like, oi, go away. This is very aggressive. Let's take an example. If there were some kids playing at the end of my garden and I didn't really want them in my garden, I would say, come on, lads, sling your hook. Just means move on, go somewhere else. And we understood these moves were part and parcel of having an international relationship. If something is part and parcel of an experience, it means it's involved or included in that experience. So if we look at the two words, we can clearly see this. Part means it's part of it. And a parcel is a package. It usually has something inside it or included in it. So let me give you some examples of part and parcel in other contexts. I don't enjoy doing the administration work, but it's part and parcel of the job. Or working unsociable hours is part and parcel of working in hospitality. This expression often relates to professions and work experiences. We didn't bat an eyelid. One thing to remember is that this idiom is always used in the negative. We didn't bat an eyelid. In more simple terms, it means we didn't even blink, which in turn means it didn't cause us any worry. It didn't phase us at all. It didn't cause us any shock or surprise when we encountered this new and unexpected experience. And with the intention of stepping onto the property ladder, stepping onto the property ladder, this relates to investments. If you step onto a ladder, you take your first step and then you go higher and higher and higher. And this is also true in investment terms. So you buy your first house, you step onto the property ladder, and then you probably sell your house. Maybe you buy a bigger house and you sell your house and you buy a bigger house and you are progressing up the ladder. So to step onto the property ladder is actually to enter the property market for the first time and begin your investments. So we just put the kettle on and we had several discussions about our future plans. To put the kettle on, one of the most important British expressions you could ever learn. For some reason, we created the word kettle, which is quite abstract because if we translate most other European languages, at least, we get the word water cooker, which is a lot more straightforward. But for some reason, we created the word kettle. So you just have to deal with that. 
There's something interesting to say about this expression, put the kettle on, because it does mean go to the kettle, put it on and let's have a cup of tea. But it's used in a much more expressive way than that. And it's not just to symbolize the action itself. If I said to my wife, Ceci, put the kettle on. What I'm actually saying is, let's sit down and relax for a while. It does still include a physical cup of tea, but of course it does. You're in Britain. Having a cup of tea is part and parcel of relaxation. That sound right there is your mind being blown. And the thought of moving to northern Spain had been lurking in our subconscious minds for quite a while. Let's create a special feature called double definition. Double definition. Double definition. I think that's the nerdiest thing I've ever done, but I'm going with it. Let's start with the word lurking. It comes from the verb to lurk. It means to hide away or to lie low until you are ready to ambush or jump on something. So if you are lurking in the darkness, it would be pretty strange in a physical sense. It means you are hiding away, maybe behind a hedge or something, and then you are ready to jump out and pounce on something. Really weird. You do not want to be lurking around the streets. You do not want to be lurking in the forests. People will think you're very weird. If we use it in a non-physical way, so this thought was lurking in my mind, it was kind of hanging around, hiding away, but it never really went away. It was going to jump out at some point. The second definition I want to mention is subconscious mind. Let's talk about consciousness for a second. If you are conscious, you are awake and aware of what's happening around you. We talk about being conscious in our reality, hopefully right now, if you're not asleep already. If you are sleeping, you enter your subconscious. This is what we would consider your dream state or maybe some automatic thinking process. So you can be awake and still be doing something subconsciously, but you're not in full control of it. You're just doing it by habit. So this is your subconscious mind working. This thought was lurking in my subconscious mind. I didn't know that thought was there. I didn't know the idea of moving to Spain was in my mind. But subconsciously, it was there, just hanging around, waiting to jump out. Because after a month, we'd had plenty of time to explore, to enjoy the sun, to get our bearings, to get one's bearings. This relates to a compass, actually. In physics, a bearing is a measurement of direction between two points. So if we put this into conversational English, if I need some time to get my bearings, I need some time to understand where I am and understand my surroundings. We often use this if we're going traveling. I need a few days to get my bearings. It means I need a few days to understand where the closest cafe is, to understand where the closest bus stop is, to understand where I am in relation to other things in my surroundings. Since our return, I've been asked on numerous occasions as to why we would pass up on this opportunity, pass up or to pass up on something. This is a great phrasal verb and it's almost always used in relation to an opportunity or a chance. So if you pass up on an opportunity, you actually 
refrain from taking that opportunity. You decide not to take it. For example, I already have a lot of stress in my job, so I'm passing up on the opportunity of a promotion. As non-citizens, we would have to fork out huge amounts of money for deposits just to get started. Fork out. This is a phrasal verb which is used informally and it's related to money. Fork out means to spend an amount on something and usually to do it unwillingly when something is maybe too expensive or more expensive than you had hoped for. If I give you an example in context, I could say, I had to fork out 35 euros for the concert ticket. It was a little bit too expensive and I didn't really want to pay that much. Maybe you can think of it in farming terms. If a farmer puts his fork into the ground and he forks out the earth, he has a lot of earth on his fork. If you fork out money from your pocket, you can have a lot of money on that fork, which you have to spend on something. And that just about concludes episode five. If there are any words or grammar structures that I did not mention in this episode, please don't sit there in silence. Come over to Telegram and ask any questions that you have. I will do my best to help. And if not, you can discuss it with other listeners as well. This is the part of the episode where I plug my business. So bear with me just a second. I am an English tutor. If you're interested in any intermediate to advanced level English lessons privately online, you can head to my website at speaktolead.com. That's it. I won't do any more. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a wonderful week and I hope your Monday is as productive as it can possibly be. See you next time. Bye. I could have been Eric Cantona If not for that girl And my aching heart So here I am Overweight and underdressed I'm bathing in some old time